0: Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartinized. Today's episode, Dare, Dave's Absolutely Realistic Education. As a parent, I've attended all kinds of shows and rituals that involve my twin daughters. There have been plays and recitals and graduations, sporting events, well, one sporting event, because they're about as athletic as I am, and various other rites of passage. And some were a lot of fun, and some were excruciatingly tedious, but there was only one that was creepy. They were in fifth grade, when my wife and I attended their D.A.R.E. graduation. It started out with a hundred kids taking their seats in the gym, all of them wearing identical red shirts and carrying identical handbooks. And it was unnerving because they all walked in silently without any of the joking or jockeying for seats that's normal amongst kids. The cops and faculty made speeches and spewed some indoctrination while the kids sang in unison and chanted replies on cue. It was like watching a Mooney wedding or the crowd at a Chairman Mao speech. I almost expected them to all jump up together, thrust their fists in the air, and shout, Death to the intellectual bourgeoisie! Dare is extremely popular and completely ineffective. It was created by former Los Angeles police chief Daryl Gates, who said, Casual drug users ought to be taken out and shot. Yeah, that's some good morals to teach your kids, isn't it? And the Los Angeles police department that he presided over has, for my entire life, been famous as being the most violent, the most corrupt, and the most out-of-control police department in the whole country. There have been a lot of studies on the effectiveness of the D.A.R.E. program, and while some say that it increases drug use a little, and some say that it decreases drug use a little, the majority of them show that it has absolutely no effect at all. And we're spending hundreds of millions, last I heard it was $800 million a year, On this completely useless program. The only real advantage to it is kids get a chance to see cops as human beings instead of distant dangerous authority figures. And I suppose that's a good lesson for them, unless they're a black kid in Daryl Gates Town. And it's just part of the lifelong indoctrination that kids get. When my kids were in kindergarten, my wife and I attended our first school function. And we were served snacks on kids' styrofoam lunch trays. And at the top of each one, embossed in 3D, was the message, Just say no to DRUGS! The word DRUGS was in all caps and big and bold and larger than anything else on the tray. So every time a five-year-old looked at their food, DRUGS was burned a little bit deeper into their impressionable minds. I'm sure someone thought that was a really brilliant idea. Dare wasn't around when I was in school, but we still had our share of anti-drug indoctrination. I remember the moment that the teachers lost all credibility on the subject. It was in 8th grade, and we were shown a film of a kid smoking a joint. He took two hits, then he glanced in the mirror and was terrified at a hideous monster looking back at him. Everybody laughed. The straightest kid in the class, who was, no kidding, me, at the time, knew... That was bullshit. And from that point on, any and all information that they supplied had no credibility whatsoever. When they said, shooting heroin into your veins is a bad idea, the first thing you thought of was, yeah, but these are the same people that showed me monsters in the mirror for a kid that takes two hits on a joint. The following year, our health teacher warned us that if we smelled pot at a party, we should leave immediately and he had these little tablets to burn that were supposed to smell like marijuana so we would know what it smelled like and could make a hasty exit. They were small pills, and he tried to burn some of them in a plate, and that didn't work. So he tried holding them, and he was just burning his fingers. Nothing was working until a few kids solved the problem for him. They came to the front of the class, and they handed him an assortment of roach clips. Several years later, the famous This Is Your Brain on Drugs commercial hit the airwaves. And it always aired late at night, when the target audience had already imbibed, they were already pretty baked. The ad would start and say, this is your brain, and show you an egg. And then crack it into a hot frying pan where it would sizzle and turn into a tasty-looking breakfast and say, this is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Yeah. And the question was, Want to go to Denny's? The only thing that had accomplished was putting more hungry stoners on the road. I saw the foggiest minds of my generation, destroyed by munchies, starving, hysterical, and grateful dead tie-dyes, driving themselves through the negro streets at dawn looking for a plate of eggs, angel-headed hippies burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo and the machinery of the night, and moons over my hammy with a side of orange juice. Sorry, Alan. I think the most important thing missing from DARE and from every other anti-drug education program is the answer to the question, why would anybody ever do drugs? They either ignore it, or they lie about it. So the only way that kids can find out is to actually try drugs themselves. And once they do, again the people that have been giving them all this information lose any credibility that they might have had. The real answer is, people do drugs because it makes them feel great. With that in mind, I initiated my own anti-drug program with my kids. I call it Dave's Absolutely Realistic Education. And here's what I taught them. People take drugs because it makes them feel great. Some people get caught or dead or otherwise in trouble the first time they do it, but most people don't. They feel great and nothing horrible happens to them. So the next time they want to feel great, they do drugs again. And once again, it works. They feel great. And once again, nothing bad seems to happen to them. And pretty soon, they get the idea that they can keep doing this without any risk. And a lot of people who do this get lazy very quickly. Think about it. Everything else that you do to feel good requires some effort, and some even require hard work. It's a whole lot easier to get high. And eventually, and it doesn't take too long, getting high becomes the only way left to feel great. And folks that fall into that trap, before they know it, they've left behind all their old friends, they're not doing anything worthwhile, and the drug becomes the center of their existence, their whole reason for living. And that's when the really nasty garbage starts. Now when I tried this education program with my kids, I was hoping of course that they'd never try an illegal drug. I'm a parent, I don't want anything bad to ever happen to them. I hope they never get drunk or fall in love with an asshole or would get a bad job review or a nasty boss or a traffic ticket or a tooth cavity or a painful hangnail. But that's not the real world and that's not what's going to happen. My idea was, it's up to me to help prepare them for the lousy stuff that's inevitable. It's going to happen. And I wanted to be sure that if they did take a hit on that joint and they did feel great without seeing monsters in their mirror, then what I taught them would still ring true. And maybe it would be enough to keep them from allowing it to become the center of their lives. And I can tell you, it's been 100% effective. My daughters are young adults now, recently graduated from college and are living back at home. And I can say with absolute certainty that at no time did drugs or alcohol become the central, most important part of their lives. They're healthy, happy adults. Now, I know a little bit about statistics, and if you've been listening to this program for any length of time, you do too. And you know that a sample size of two is pretty meaningless statistically. But I'll tell you what, in this totally uncontrolled study, I am really happy with the results. And if you've got younger kids, I recommend be honest with them. Tell them the truth. Don't risk your credibility by lying to them. And maybe you can give them an absolutely realistic education about this instead of propaganda that they're going to see right through and may do more harm than good. Oh, and by the way, when you're talking to a dare cop, don't make any jokes about the program. They won't think drugs are really expensive is amusing, and they won't smile if you say drugs are really excellent. Don't ask me how I know this, just trust me on this one. And that's it for this episode of Quick Hits. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can simply see a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smart extended notes at the end of this. Uh, Most folks don't seem to mind it. Did get a little feedback. Some folks said, well, gee, you know, I kind of like that you got 10 or 12 minutes and there's your one idea and that's it and it's done. But when you do the extended notes, you're pulling in things from past shows and it kind of dilutes the impact. I can see that point of view. I understand it. I don't disagree with it, but I am still going to keep doing the extended closing notes. For those of you who don't like this it's real simple as soon as you hear you've been smartinized the show is over turn it off I'll never know and even if I did know wouldn't bother me in the least I'm going to stick with the extended closing notes for a couple of reasons primarily because it generates more email and more response and I really like that I really enjoy that it gives me uh inspiration for upcoming shows as you will see shortly and makes it a two way dialogue instead of just uh, one person talking alone in their room into a microphone. I got a lot of feedback on the Nicotine Nazis podcast. It was 100% positive. One of the more interesting ones came from Austin Ricks, who referred to them as Nazis, spelled N O T S E E S. And I think that's just perfect on two different levels. First of all, you have the abolitionists and the activists. And they cannot see reality. They cannot see facts. It's like discussing evolution with a fundamentalist. They just physically, mentally cannot see what reality is. But it also applies in a broader sense to most of the population who chooses to not see what's going on around them. Oh, I don't care about smoking bans. I don't smoke anyways. Oh, I don't care about them banning goose liver in Chicago. I I don't eat fog raw anyway. Oh, it doesn't matter to me that they're banning trans fats. They're not good for you anyways. They just choose to not see how more more and more and more and more and more and more of their decisions are being taken away from them by bureaucrats and busybodies. Lee Thompson writes in with a list of a lot of the shows that he liked and why he liked them. One of the things he says is your episode on the imaginary friend, or God as the friend is more often known, was excellent, although I think you can take a more strident line when it comes to condemning superstitious belief. The point that you don't want to provoke arguments with religious people just for the sake of it is totally reasonable, but your show is a good way of avoiding a one-to-one row while making some good points. Hey, I'm not one to back away from a one-to-one row. I... I'm an aggressive person. I like to get in there and have a good, healthy argument, especially if it doesn't become uh, too heated and unfriendly. I just don't seek them out, and I'm not looking to convert anyone. I think it's pretty hard to do. It can be done. I mean, I grew up in a fundy cult that taught us how to convert people, but I think it's better to just kind of wait for your opportunities, and it's a subject that I don't bring up. If somebody else brings it up, I'm right in there. Believe me, mixing it up with them. But it's not something that I initiate. He continues, The most subtle poster I've ever seen, which points to the harm done by the persistence of such medieval beliefs, is that of the Manhattan skyline, with the famous words by John Lennon paraphrased as, Imagine there's no religion. This poster of the skyline still had the Twin Towers in place. Ah, yes, friends, when you think of 9-11, when you think of the terror and the horror of the people dying, being crushed, or thrown from the buildings, or jumping from the buildings, remember, that was caused by a belief in God. Never forget that. He goes on to challenge me to do a show on global warming. Well, Lee, I'm going to take you up on that challenge. In fact, I'll call the challenge and I'm going to raise it one more. I'm going to do not just one, but two shows on global warming. I've been putting it off and you'll find out why in the upcoming shows, but I want to do two of them. And the first one is going to be about the credibility of Al Gore. And the second one will be about global warming. Is it real? Is it really happening? And if it is, are we really responsible for it? And I'm going to do one of them as a bonus episode, so you're going to be getting three shows in the coming month, rather than just doing a show on or around the first of the month and the 15th of the month, which is my normal schedule. The intro and background music is by the Aquamarines. It's called My Wonderful Shadow. I got an email from them saying that there's been some changes in the lineup of the band, but they're still in business, and you can still go to theaquamarines.com and Buy their CD and listen to this entire piece of music without me yammering over it. You can call at 206-203-4488, that's 206-203-HIT, and leave a message that may get played on the show. You can also write to me, the address is hitman at davehit.com, and you can get the correct spelling of that in the MP3 tags of this file, or you can go to davehit.com, where you'll find it on just about every page. As always, never forget that the Quick Hits Podcast is nothing more than a journal of one man's opinion, and therefore should not be taken too seriously.